This weekend I'm talking about what happens when you finally get to be the boss. You climb the ladder, you get the corner office, people are answerable to you. When you find yourself in that position, what is God's expectations of you? Well, I'm here with Scott Noonan. Scott's one of our elders here at Hope, also a good friend of mine. And he's had the opportunity to manage and build two companies. And uh, Scott, tell us a little bit about the first company uh, that you built. I think you began when you were at Harvard Business School. Correct. So I, I was at Harvard Business School. It was actually uh, 1999. I started Gold Pocket Interactive, which was a tech company in the heyday of the boom. And we ended up moving the company to Los Angeles and selling television technologies to all the television networks. And uh, it was my first big run at managing you know, 100 and some people in a tech company. And it grew, and God blessed it, and it became a big, big company, right? And eventually, uh, you decided to sell it off, someone bought you out, what happened? Correct, so the company uh, was sold six years after we started it, and um, you know, it was one of those classic venture-backed companies, you grow it, grow it, grow it, and eventually you, you, know, you need to sell it, and bring everyone the return on their money. And I know, uh, and this is what I wanted to get to, you told me that when you uh, sold the company, you did something really, really, I felt unique, as it related to your employees who helped you build that company. Can you tell us what you did? You know, we went through an incredible amount as a team together. And uh, when the company sold, I had looked back and realized, you know, we've been through the ups and downs of, that everyone goes through in business. And a lot of people had stuck with me and with the company through the downturn. And one of the things that I had told them at one point is if this thing sells, everyone, you guys have been through this really tough times and pulled out, and I'd like to do something for you. So. Uh, when the company sold, I gave 25% of what I personally made to the employees of the company as a, hey, just thank you, and, and you know, we did this as a team. I really appreciate it. And, and what, do you, what do you feel like really uh, motivated you to do that, Scott? You know, you, you try to live your life by biblical principles and principles to say, I want to do the right thing by people. And you want to have a relationship with your employees that's beyond a just, you know, I'm the supervisor, relationship. And these were my friends. Yeah. And we had been in the trenches together, and I felt like it was the right thing to do. But then you moved to North Carolina. You, you got involved with a, a smaller company, Audio Advice. And uh, what I've been impressed there is uh, more of the how you're building into your team, the relationship that you're building, not just so that they become more productive as employees, but just better at life. Um, in fact, you shared with me one time that if someone leaves your company and they're not in a better place in one year, then you feel like you failed. Could you tell me what you mean by that? Sure, so if you look at Audio Advice generally, vastly different company than Go Pocket. Go Pocket's fast growing startup. Audio Advice had been around 30 years before I even became president of the company. So most of the employees had been there 10 years plus. And I've had an incredible opportunity. One, I have a partner that believes with the same core values that I believe with. But when I look into the company, it was how can we develop a relationship with people that's beyond just business? Mm. And you know, a really good example, as you just pointed out, would be, does an employee feel like they can come to you and say, I'm not sure this is the right company for me. I think I need to be somewhere else. Or are they afraid that if they say that to you, <laughs> you know, they're gonna be fired? And uh, do you feel as an employer that you can say, I'm not sure you're in the right role without having someone leave the company? And what we've been spending a lot of time trying to do is to say, we want to have a trust relationship. Back and forth in the company and feel that you can have those conversations. And even if someone wants to leave the company, it's our job 
to help them get to a better spot. And it's a failure if we don't. And ultimately, I think not only is that the right thing to do, but it impacts everyone else in the company to go, this is a different kind of company. Scott, I want to thank you for spending this time with me. And, you know, we talked about the very first week in our series is that when we, when we take our principles that are biblical principles and we apply them to our work life, we position ourselves for God to bless us. And he's, he's obviously blessed you and your family. And we're so glad that he brought you to hope. And just thank you for spending this time with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Scott. We're in a series we're calling You at Work. And uh, what we're learning in this series is that God is actually interested in our work. I mean, whether you're the, a CEO, you're an investment banker, whether you're a computer programmer, you're stocking the shelves at Walmart, you're a bag boy at the Food Lion, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, uh, God is very, very interested in how you're doing your job. In fact, we started this series by looking at a very interesting verse over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. This is what it said. It says, whatever, whatever. And that's a very key word. That's a pretty encompassing word. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. In other words, regardless of what your job is, God has called you, he has called me to do our jobs as if we're working for Jesus Christ, as if Jesus is actually our boss. And what we learned in that very first week is that God is more interested in how we do what we do than what we actually do. And I think a lot of people, I read the emails, I talked to many of us, we got all jacked up about that. We went to work that Monday thinking, I'm going to go to work today with a whole new attitude. I'm going to work as if Jesus Christ is my boss. I'm going to work as unto the Lord. And you found yourself throughout that day asking yourself, what would Jesus do in this situation? I mean, the alarm went off and you thought, wow, it was a rough weekend. I think I'll sleep another hour and maybe just go into late today. Nobody will really know. Nobody will notice. But then you thought, oh, but what would Jesus do? Well, he'd probably get up and go in on time. So you got up and you went on on time. And then lunch came and you get an hour for lunch, but you had some errands to run and you had like 15 minutes to get back and get at your desk or whatever you were supposed to be doing. And you thought, man, I would really like to stop by the Golden Corral and just belly up to the trough for an hour or so. You know what I'm saying? But then you thought, well, what would Jesus do? Well, he'd probably drive through, the go drive through at Taco Bell and get a, get a burrito and go on back to work. So that's what you did, you know. And maybe a client came in from out of town, the expectation was it you were going to take them to the strip club because that's what you've always done. You know, that's how you got their business. And you asked, what would Jesus do? And you thought, yeah, Jesus, Jesus would probably take them to Kid City Live. So you brought them to Kid City Live instead of taking them to the strip club. You know, but let's be honest. I mean, we might be able to pull off that kind of intensity working as if we're working for Jesus Christ, as if he's actually our boss. You know, we might be able to pull that off for a day or two, but it is really, really hard to pull it off consistently by Wednesday or Thursday. The attitude has crept back, back in and all of a sudden, you know, it's, the gloves are off and, and it's back to the old way of doing things. And then Donnie Peters, he didn't help us last week. He came along and, and he talked about balance. And by the way, is it just me? Doesn't Donnie sound just like Crush and Finding Nemo? I mean, I, mean, I, I think he does voiceover somewhere. You go back and watch the movie, right? But Donnie spoke, and he did a great job talking about balance. How do we balance work in our, in our personal life? How do we keep things in the right perspective? And where else in the world other than Hope Community Church can you go and one of the applications be choose to cheat? I mean, now, if you were here, 
you understand the perspective. If you, if you weren't, you should go home and listen to his message online. But basically, he says, you're going to cheat somewhere in life. You're either going to cheat work or you're going to cheat your family or the people or the things that are most important to you. You've got to make these decisions what your priorities are going to be. And my guess is a lot of people left those messages that last weekend, and you went home and think, man, things have to change. I need to be spending more time with my spouse. I need to be spending more time with my children. I need to be spending more time doing work for the kingdom. I'm going to have to make some adjustments. And maybe, maybe you were able to do that for a day or two. But you know what? The pressures begin to creep back in and you realize it's really, really hard to do these kinds of things consistently. So we realize, man, we need some incentive to live this way. So here's the incentive we discovered. When we do our job as if we're actually working for Jesus Christ, we then position ourselves to be blessable. When we can work this way as if Jesus Christ is our boss, we put ourselves in a position for God to bless our work life. Now this weekend I'm going to shift gears a little bit. And I want to talk to those of you who are managers and bosses and supervisors, maybe you're a team leader, uh, maybe you own your own company, maybe you're a CEO, maybe you're just a student and one day you hope to be in a place of authority like that. But I want to talk to those of you, you have people who report to you, you have people that you're responsible for. Maybe it's two to three hundred employees, maybe it's two to three thousand employees, maybe it's a team of four or five that you oversee. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you have three kids, four if you count your husband. But when it's all said and done, everybody knows you're the boss. You're the boss. By the way, I was at home studying on Monday and I was looking for a book and I poured open my desk drawer and there was a picture there. And I'm not sure why they had ended up there. I think Laura had put them there. But it was a picture that reminded me, this is my first job when I was a boss. Calm down, ladies. That's me right there in the center in the cowboy hat. That is Camp Canada in Wake Forest. And I was the camp director that summer. The guy on my left, that's Mark Vitak. He was the waterfront director. He took care of everything on the waterfront. The guy with the whip and sombrero, that's a whole other story. But he went to Wake Forest, and he was over everything that happened on the land. And there were about 70 counselors, but that was my first opportunity to actually be the boss. And I know what some of you are thinking. How did he not end up a Chippendales dancer? That's what you guys are thinking, right? And I will tell you this, I still have the cowboy hat and the shorts, and yet every once in a while, Laura asks me to pull them out. But I'll say more about that in our marriage and parenting seminar and, and sermon series I'm going to do later on down the road. Now get that picture out of your mind. Let's get back to what we want to talk about. Here's the question I want to address over the next few minutes. How do our Christian values and ethics impact stop laughing? That was 135 pounds of strapping muscle right there. Three months before I got married. Things change when you get married, young people. How do Christian values and ethics impact our roles as bosses? Whether you're the CEO, the manager, the team leader, the supervisor, when you finally get into that role as a Christian, do things change? And I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, the things that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes are very, very convicting to me. And it's because, and I know you don't think of me this way, but I spend more time at work now being a boss to 114 people who work at Hope Community Church than I actually spend being a pastor to them. And because I spend a lot of time in that role as a boss, just like you, I have to deal with spreadsheets and budgets and HR, and there are times that I have to hire and I have to fire, and I spend time on vision and structure and expansion, and I go to lunches and try to talk people out of their property so we can build campuses without having to buy their property, you know. 
And it's okay, I understand that this is all a part of my job, but this is what I struggle with. How do I blend biblical values and biblical ethics with my responsibility to be a good steward of this organization? Because when you think about it, maybe you've never thought about it this way, in a sense, all of you are stockholders, all of you who give, you're stockholders at Hope Community Church. I mean, you go to work, you work really hard, then you come back here and you, you invest your hard-earned money here and you expect to see results. And when it's all said and done, I know at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. I get that. Now, sure, I have a board of elders. We, 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 they're like a board of directors. That's who I'm accountable to. But I know this. If the train comes off the rails, if things begin to unravel, you're going to begin to look to me for answers. So as the boss of this place, I have to make sure every week that as a staff, we're producing. As much as we would like to, we, we can't just sit around and read the Bible. As much as we would like to, we can't just sit around and pray. We've got to get stuff done. In fact, I believe that there's a couple of reasons that God has really blessed Hope Community Churches. This is the first one. We are really, really good stewards of our resources. Now, part of the reason is we have to be because you're such lousy givers. I'm just going to be honest with you. The average adult at Hope gives about half annually of what the average church person does anywhere else in America. So you guys don't give very well, so we've had to really figure out how do you squeeze a dollar and get the most out of it. So we've become really, really good stewards of our resources. But I think the second reason that God has blessed us is we as a staff, we have a staff here who's really, really good at producing. We have a staff who understands what it takes to get the job done. So my job during the week is to make sure that that continues. But you got to understand, the tension I face as a boss is different than the tension you face as a boss. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm the boss to 114 staff members, but at the same time, I'm still their pastor. How would you like to get fired by your pastor? I mean, you want to talk about turning somebody's world upside down. We're a nonprofit. We don't play, pay unemployment tax. So if you work at Hope and you lose your job, you don't get unemployment. You're basically out in the cold. Now, I, I, I don't know if my staff knows that, but now that they know that, I think they're going to work a little harder, right? <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing. Uh, hey, if I fire you, are you going to go to the church where your pastor fired you? Well, think about the implications of that. That's where your friends are. That's where your children are connected. That's where your small group is. If I have to let you go, it is going to turn your world upside down. So this is constant tension I live in. How can we be task-oriented? How can we be goal-oriented? And how can we love people the way the Bible calls us to love people at the very same time? And that's not just my problem because I happen to be the boss of a church. As we're going to see this weekend, God has given all of us, every one of us who's in a supervisory position, the responsibility of bringing our Christian values, our Christian ethics to bear on how we care for those who God has entrusted to our care for the time that they're in our care. In fact, we're going to see that we have a spiritual responsibility that goes beyond industry expectations. It goes beyond company standards. And let's be honest, when you find yourself in that tension, it's not always easy to sort those kinds of things out. It's not always so clear where the line actually is. But what we're going to see over the next few minutes is this. God has called those of us who are bosses or managers or owners or CEOs or supervisors to give to the people who work under our authority more 
than what the typical boss in society, the typical boss in our culture is going to give them. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, God has raised the standard. He's called, he's called us to give them more than just paychecks. He's called us to give them more than just benefits. It's more than them just giving us their time and their skills, and then in exchange, we give them some money and some benefits. And it's because of this. God has a whole different way of thinking about employment than what we're accustomed to. God has a whole different way, a whole different perspective on the employer-employee relationship than what culture would have us believe. Now, Paul's going to help us with this. If you have your Bibles, let's go over to Colossians chapter 4. We were in Colossians chapter 3 last time, so let me remind you of the context because Colossians chapter 3 and 4, it's not working and it's not employment, it's slavery, and I think we struggle with that. And, and the reason we struggle with that is because we don't really understand slavery from a first century context. I mean, when we think of slavery, we immediately think the Civil War, right? But understand in Paul's day, it was a completely different situation, and it's very, very complicated, and we can't get into it this weekend. It was a multi-generational thing. In fact, it was so much a part of the culture, I think Paul knew that it was a waste of time to even talk about why they shouldn't be slavery. And again, we can't wrap our minds around that. That's really difficult for us to understand. But this was a whole different context than what we think of as slavery. Yet at the very same time, Paul knew that there was a relationship and there was a responsibility that these slave masters had for the slaves. So as Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, he gives the masters a command. And buried in this command, we're going to see Colossians chapter 4 verse 1, is a principle that applies to every one of us who find ourselves in a position where we have authority over other individuals or they're answerable to us. Here's what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4 verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Now, you may read right past that and go on, but I, you got to understand that was a shock to a first century slave owner because there was already an industry expectation as to what you did for your slaves. It was very simple. You provided food and you provided lodging and that was it. But now Paul writes this letter and he says, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't just look around at society. You can't just look around at your culture and do what everybody else is doing. As a follower of Jesus Christ, he says, you can't settle just providing food and just providing lodging. You now have to do what is right, and you've got to do what is fair. In fact, you've got to elevate your slaves' status in their relationship with you. You've got to work really, really hard at closing that gap. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I am confident that when these first century slave owners, these slave masters, when they heard this, they were thinking, nobody does that. Nobody does, nobody does what is right by their slaves. Nobody does what is fair by their slaves. They're slaves. I mean, we treat our families right. We treat our families fair. We treat our friends right. We treat, we treat our friends fair. We don't treat slaves that way. They're slaves. But now Paul comes along and he says, well, you got to understand something. Life has changed. You are now a Christian. You are now a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a whole new day. There's a whole new standard. So look what he says in Colossians 4.1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Now here's why. Here's the standard. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. 
So it's not what's going on in society. It's not what culture is dictating. This has changed. The standards change. The rules have changed because you've got a master in heaven. In other words, you've got to step back. You've got to look at the big picture. Just as those slaves are under your authority as their master, you're under the authority of your master. And so Paul tells these masters, you're a master who has a master. So you can't take your cues as to what it looks like to be a good master from other slave masters. You've now got to take your cues about what it looks like to be a good master from your master who's in heaven. And that's a whole different standard. And since that's the case, you owe your slaves more than the average slave owner owes their slaves. Now, as Christian bosses, supervisors, managers, I think what Paul wants us, we have to get to the same place. We have to learn the same thing. Because let's be honest, standard operating procedure in our culture is to look around and see what's going on at other companies. See what's going on. How are they treating their people? And then we ask questions like, how much do they pay for the same position? What kind of benefits do they give for the same position? In other words, we take our cues from culture. We take our cues from those around us, and then we establish a work environment that kind of parallels what everybody else is doing. And we look around and say, well, since this is what everybody else is doing, then it must be just. Since this is what everybody else is doing, that must be fair. God comes along and says, no, 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 no. Have I got news for you? As Christians, you are being held to a different standard. You owe your employees more than you think. In other words, it isn't just about you giving them a paycheck. It's not just about you giving them benefits. And the reasons it's not just about a paycheck and a benefit is because you have a master in heaven. You have a boss in heaven. And as a Christian, you have to learn from your boss who's in heaven how to treat the people who are under your authority. And I know what some of you are thinking because you've been command and control. You've been the big dog for so long. You've been in the corner office. People respect you. When you say jump how high, all of a sudden you hear something like this and it's, again it's that and this is what you're thinking. Nobody does that. I'm not even sure how that would work. In fact, I'm not even sure what that would look like. And I think God's response is, it doesn't matter. It's your responsibility. We'll figure it out together. But you can't fall into the trap of just doing what everybody else is doing in your industry. You can't just fall into the trap of doing what everybody else is doing in your company because you have a greater responsibility than they do. You have a broader responsibility to your fellow man than they do. And you're responsible to provide for the people who work for you what is right and what is fair, and here's the kicker, as God defines what is right and what is fair. In other words, this goes beyond policies. This goes beyond procedures. This goes way beyond the company handbook. We're held to a different standard. As Christians, we're to bring a different expectation to the marketplace. We're to bring in a whole different way of treating the people who find themselves under our authority. Now here's the big question. How do we do that? And, 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 and what would that look like? And I guess, I guess I could sit up here this weekend and give you 20, 25 suggestions of what you could go out of here and implement next week so that you could begin to live this out. 
But instead, I want to give you two things, just two things I want you to think about. Two things that I really believe as Christians we need to put at the top of our priority list as we figure out how are we going to implement this truth in the marketplace, this principle in the marketplace. And I've done some reading from some business people. I actually read those books. You know, I've read John Maxwell. I've read some stuff by Andy Stanley. But you know who's impacted me more than anybody else is Gary Vett, who's our pastor, our director of adult ministries here at Hope Community Church. Over the last few years, I've just watched how he's managed his team, the people that work under him. And this is what I've discovered. They would walk through hell carrying a five-gallon can of gasoline with him. There is that kind of loyalty. There is that kind of spirit. There is that kind of team camaraderie. And I've watched him over the years, and I think, how can we be managers like that? And really, I boiled it down to this. I'm going to ask you to consider making two commitments. And I really believe those of us who are in positions of authority, if we will walk out of here and follow through on these two commitments, we'll begin to get a sense of what it means to blend our Christian values, our Christian ethics with our job in the marketplace. Here's the first commitment I'm going to challenge you to make. The commitment is this. I will do what's right even when it's difficult. That's the first one. I'm going to do what's right even when it's difficult. By the way, do you know what the people who work for you, do you know what they really want from you? They want you to be a leader that's worth following. When it's all said and done at the end of the day, they want you to be a leader that's worth following. They want to know that you're answerable to a standard of right and wrong that's bigger than the company. They want to know that you're committed to doing what's right by them regardless of policies, regardless of procedures, regardless of the handbook. Bottom line, they want to work for someone who has integrity. And the reason is they want to feel like they can have a relationship with you, but you know and I know you cannot have a relationship with someone who isn't trustworthy. You cannot have a relationship with someone who lacks character and lacks integrity. And when you think about it, as Christians... We, above every group in society, should be willing to commit to being people of character when it comes to how we treat people who are under our authority. You know why? It's because we have a boss. We have a master in heaven, Jesus Christ, who is always consistent with how he treats us. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered how Jesus Christ was going to respond to you? No, he's consistently patient. He's consistently loving. He's consistently merciful. He is consistently honest. He doesn't tell us what we want to hear. He tells us what we have to hear, what we need to hear, even when it's hard for us to hear it. And we owe that same kind of consistency to the people that work for us. Now, again, you're going to have to figure out how this, what this looks like in your position, in your industry, in your company. But I will say this. This idea of character and integrity, becoming someone who is trustworthy. For some of you, it's not going to happen overnight. Because you're going to have to show up at work on Monday with a whole new attitude. And when you show up at work on Monday, you're going to have to undo a lot of the damage that you've created. And for some of you, it's going to be a lot of work. James Froud, he's an English historian. He, I came across this quote. He says, you cannot dream yourself into character. 
you must hammer and forge yourself one. In other words, it takes work to build your character, and it takes even more work to rebuild your character. So some of you, you've got some things, you've got to go back to work, and you've got to begin to fix. You've got to begin to repair, because right now, the way you're treating those who are under you would not be a way that is acceptable to your master who is in heaven. John Maxwell, I read this quote this week, he says, for starters, good character is built on a good heart. And maybe that's where it's going to have to start. You may have to look inside your heart, your life, and say, why do I treat people this way? Why do I abuse my authority? Why am I so passive aggressive? Why do I handle people this way when I know they're struggling and going through a tough time? Good character is built on a good heart. By the way, that comes out of his book, Life at Work. They're available at all of our campuses this week. And we bought them in bulk. They're $10 a piece. Marketplace success for people of faith. You may want to pick that up at all of our campuses as you're leaving. But let me just add this about, about your character. Your character, uh, your trustworthiness, your integrity is much more important to the people you work for than what you pay them. I'll tell you why. You give them a raise, they love you. But statistics and studies show that a raise really only has much value for about 30 days. It's an encouragement for about 30 days. People go on. They probably have already spent it. Their lifestyle moves forward. It's now just a salary. But understand that the culture that they work in every day, that is the thing that really makes a difference in their attitude in regards to work. And as believers, that's why it's so important that we work overtime at creating a culture of trust so that we're leaders worth following. In fact, I'll throw out a little homework assignment to you. I dare you. I dare you to go to work this week and the people that work under you, give them a blank piece of paper and say you don't have to sign it, but ask them to tell you what they think of your leadership. Now, they may say what they want to say, what you want to hear when they face you, but give them a blank sheet of paper and say, Tell me what you, in fact, type it so I don't know that you wrote it. I'll figure it out anyway. What do you really think about my leadership? It may be the greatest lesson about your character, character and integrity that you've ever received in your life. But at least you know where you are and what you have to deal with and what needs to change. Here's the second commitment I'm going to ask you to make. I will commit to developing those who work under me. I will commit to developing those who work under me, and this is really, the, I believe, the Christianity part of this. You see, the bottom line is, when people go to work for us, this is what they want to know. Am I just an instrument? Am I just a tool? Am I just a slave? Am I a means to an end? Are you willing to invest in me? And I really believe that, as Christians, if there's a commitment that we should make to the people who work for us, it's the commitment not just to help them develop life, develop better job skills, but how do we help them develop life skills? Well, let me tell you what I base that on. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, let me tell you, there's a lot of companies that are built on the backs of the people down here. A lot of companies. And one of the reasons I wanted to interview Scott, I don't know in this day and age how many people would sell a company and voluntarily say, I want to give a lot of this money back to the people who helped build this company. I mean, if you're not a stockholder, if you didn't have some kind of options, you're just out of luck, right? 
But Paul says this, do not do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Now here's the kicker. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interest of others. Now often we apply this to our spouse or our children or our friends or our neighbors. Yeah, it can't be all about me. I've got to look out for your interest. There are times I've got to put your interest above my own interest. That's what it means to be a servant. Let me ask you this. How would you apply that verse as a boss? How do you look out for the interests of those people who work under your authority? How do you put their interest above your own interest? I'll tell you how. You invest in them personally. Now here's the question. How do you do that? How do you invest in people in such a way that one day they walk up to you and ask, why are you doing this? Because <laughs> if, if, if you live like this, you're going to stand out. Why do you care about my family? Why do you even care about what's going on in my personal life? Hey, why do you allow time at work for personal development for us? Or why would you even pay for us to attend that seminar or workshop? Not to better our job skills, but so that we can be better at life. And the answer, the answer, the right answer is, I'm not doing this just for the sake of your job. I'm not doing this just so that you can be more productive. I'm doing this because I think you are worth the investment. And right now, because you guys are so shaped this way through your education, this is what you're thinking. Okay, but what kind of return do I get on my investment? And if that describes what you're thinking right now, you're missing the point because people don't want to be a return on an investment. People want to be the investment. So you got to change your shift your thinking. Instead of thinking, what's the return on my investment? you got to be able to step back and, and, and begin to see the people that work for you, okay, as being valuable in the sight of God. But think of it this way. They're valuable in the sight of God, and God has entrusted their careers, their time, their talent to your care for a period of time. And during that period of time, you are responsible for how you treat them. If you can get to that point, then you will do whatever you can with the time and the resources that are available to you to invest in those people personally. You know why you'll do it? Because you know that's what pleases God. That's what pleases God. Don't just look out for your own interests. Even when you're a boss, you look out for the interests of others. And I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> what turnip truck did he fall off of? You know, aren't you? He is so naive. I mean, maybe that's the way it works at church. Maybe that's the way it works in ministry world. It would never work that way in the real world. In fact, Mike, what if I invest personally in people that work for me and they leave me? What about that, Mike? What do you say about that? What do I get out of that? Here's an insight. Everybody in your company is going to leave. You're leaving. I'm leaving. Everybody leaves. It just matters how we leave. Some are going to retire. Some are going to transfer. Some are going to go out the door in a box. But everybody is going to leave. Others of you are thinking, but what if I invest and then they leave and go to my competitor? Or even worse, what if I invest in that young whippersnapper down on the second floor and he takes my job? Let me just tell you something. You can write this down. Fear and leadership are bad partners. Let me say that again. Fear and leadership are bad partners. And that's why so many of us in a position of authority, we revert back to command and control. Just do what I tell you. Just do what I tell you. I'm the boss. You know why we do that? It's fear. 
It's, and you can lead out of fear. You can be all about command and control. Or you can go to work on money and demonstrate a whole new way of leading in your company by recognizing fear, setting it aside, saying, God, you know that if I invest in these people personally, they may take advantage of me. I mean, they may be here for a year, 18 months, get all the goodies they can get and go somewhere else. But God, I'm not going to let fear dominate the culture I create because God, you don't treat me that way. See, God doesn't deal in fear. He doesn't barter with fear. God barters with love and trust. And I really believe with all my heart as Christians, there's a way for us to bring those kind of values into the workplace. But it begins by realizing that everybody that works for you, they're going to leave. It's just a matter of when and how. So how are you going to invest in those individuals personally in the time that God has entrusted them to you? So as a Christian, regardless of your industry, Regardless of your position, your job, you don't need to leave with fear. You just need to find a way to invest in the people that God has entrusted to you. Not because that's what everybody else is doing. Not because you might get something out of it. But because as Christians, according to Paul, we have a master. And because of this master, we've been called to a higher standard as to how we treat the people who work for us. And again, there's really... No need for me to give you a bunch of examples of what that looks like. You're going to have to figure that out. But this is my challenge to you. Are you developing the people that you work with who work for you? Or are you just helping them develop job skills? When I interviewed Scott, one of the things I loved, he said, you know, if I have to let some, some, someone go, because he told me one time, you know, sometimes you just have to let people go. It's just not the right fit. But this is what he told me. He says, if they're not better off in a year, if they're not happier, if they're not more fulfilled, then I didn't do my job getting them prepared for the future. Now, let me just say, that's not operating out of fear. That's not saying, I'm going to pour into this person, and he might actually leave and go to another company, a competitor, and put me out of business. That's not that kind of fear. This is what that attitude says. God has entrusted this individual to me for this season of life. And as a Christian... I am going to take this opportunity to be a shaping influence. I've just started recently meeting with the young pastors on staff. Gary asked me to do this because this is my strength. I told you I've learned so much from him. And he says, could you, just, could you just pass on what I know? And so our meetings are really short. They last like three minutes. They don't, they don't last long. But I, this is what I'm learning. It really doesn't have anything to do with job performance. It has a lot to do with life performance. And as I sat around that table with them a couple of weeks ago, I realized as I'm looking at them, what an incredible, sharp group of young men that I now get to invest in. And you know what I realized? Some of them are going to leave me. Some of them are going to see other opportunities. God's going to call them to other places. And I got to tell you, for years, that was probably my biggest fear. And, and again, that goes back to my own security. But some of them are going to leave. They're going to go to other churches. They're going to go to other ministries. But now I look at that, and this is what I think. I will be so proud. Because this is what I realize now. If in any way God can use my life experience to somehow shape and impact their life, as they go on and begin to shape and impact other people's lives, indirectly God has used me, even in another ministry. 
I'll give you an example. Jeff Ramsey is one of the first people I ever hired here at Hope. We were maybe 200 people when he came to me and he said, I'd like to be the youth pastor. And, and uh, he had a non-compete clause from another company. He came out of a software business. He didn't need a salary, but we paid him a whopping $20,000 a year to be our youth pastor. And he grew and he grew and he matured and he became a great teacher. And, and uh, in fact, he named, and we just kind of had this father-son mentoring relationship. He named his first child after me, Michael, 10 years old. He'll be 10 years old, Jeff just told me this week. And then a few years after Jeff had been with us, him and Jason Gore, Jason's back on staff with us now, they took about our 150 of our sharpest and brightest young adults and they went down to downtown Raleigh and we blessed them with a bunch of money to start another church. Well, this week he was back visiting, having a meeting because we're partnering together to do some things in the community and in the world. And then he came up to my office afterwards and we just sat there for a while. And over just a few minutes, I can't tell you how many times he said, I'll never forget one time you told me, or one time you said, or one time I heard you say in a staff meeting, and what I realized was some of the things that I'd invested in him without even realizing that I was investing in him, he's now taking and he's using in the ministry that God has called him to. And I got to tell you, as I sat there and I listened to him, there was a sense of satisfaction from the Holy Spirit I cannot even begin to describe to you. And I think that when we can get there with whatever our careers are, when we can live that way as bosses, I think this was God's response. I think maybe God looked at me and thought, who would have ever thought that that old redneck that had the audacity to wear those tight little shorts would ever get to this place? But he finally gets it. And maybe he even applauds a little. But see, when we get there, we've positioned ourselves for God's blessing in our life. I mean, you want to talk about leaving a legacy. Does it get any better than that? So be a person of integrity. Invest personally in the lives that God has entrusted to you. Use the opportunity to have a shaping influence in their life, possibly for the kingdom and then trust it to God. Just trust it to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that this is how you treated the disciples. You pulled them together for three years. You poured your life into them. And you said, now go, go, go. You can do it, go. And with your direction and toolages, they went out and they, they began to change the world. And Father, we have that opportunity in those who find themselves under authority. I wonder how many people are excited to come and work for us and how many people dread every day they have to come and work for us. Remind us that as Christians we're, we're called to a different standard. We're held accountable by a master and because of the way he treats us we're to treat others differently also. Not just looking out for our own interests but the interests of others. Help us apply these things, these truths, these principles, Father, through your Holy Spirit, so we'll do the right thing by them. In your name we pray, amen.